Well, it's good to see everyone this morning. We want to take our Bibles and go to Psalm 148 this morning, Psalm 148. And if you'll stand and we'll read uh, these verses together. Psalm 148, and we're going to think today about the subject of worship. Uh, between our series, um, we will be back in Second Peter uh, next week and begin a three-week series on the judgment of the Lord. And so you don't want to miss that. There are three great examples of the fact that God does judge. You know, everybody likes to talk about the love of God, and I do too. But the justice of God is real, and um, it's, it's very much alive. Not only has he judged, he does judge now. We know that from 1 Corinthians 11, and he will judge in the future. And I know one will escape that. So you uh, come prepared in the next three weeks as we look at that uh, together. Let's read Psalm 148. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth, and all peoples, princes, and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And I just pause there for a second. That's why we're here today. That's when you get up each day. That's why we have life. We have life in order to praise the Lord. For his name, the psalmist says, alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven, and he has lifted up a horn for his people. Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, there's a lot there to think about in terms of who deserves all the praise and all the glory and Obviously, that is you, and we see that your creation um, sings praises, lifts up praises to you, and um, that's encouraging because you alone are worthy of honor and praise, and Lord, um, we come here on this day, and uh, maybe some of us are really uh, not here yet. Physically, we're in the room, but maybe mentally, we've already checked out. I pray that your uh, spirit would move among the people today and that you would uh, fill our hearts, control us, that we might um, bring honor and glory to you alone. And um, I pray that everything in song and through the word would lift up your name. And Lord, I pray this morning specifically that we would be willing to examine this area of worship in our life. You know, how that looks beyond just right now in this hour. And so I pray that you would help us to do that, help us to think through that as we uh, continue this morning uh, to lift your name up. In Christ's name, amen.
It's okay if you clap. I mean, right? As long as that's for the Lord, right? That's what matters. That was wonderful. Um, there are about three or four sermons just in those songs. How long do y'all want to stay today? Do what? Go for it. All right, who has the five loaves and two fish, right? Where's the Lord? Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I want to speak on a subject today that really has to do with some of what we just did. It's a, it's a subject I'm really kind of concerned about with the church and um, I'm not picking on any one particular person. Um, but I think the church overall has a real need for evaluation in the area of worship. Um, if today is the only time that you worship during your week, Something's probably wrong. Do you agree with that? I mean, I think the culture today is so um, scheduled out that Sunday's part of that schedule. And what do we do? We go to church and we worship. Well, um, the great part about being a believer in Christ and having the freedom that we do in Christ is we can worship any time. We're not limited to a formal setting like I think so many people unfortunately are. Um, it, it concerns me greatly only because of observation, the things that I've seen from and heard from in terms of people and how they express, I went to church today, I worship today. And I'm thinking, what did you do yesterday? You know, you may not have come to a building and collectively worshiped with a group of people known as the body of Christ for those who are in Christ. But um, you did yesterday, Saturday, have an opportunity to worship the Lord. Right? So, and even Friday, and even Thursday, and even Wednesday, and even Tuesday, and even Monday. And even last Sunday when you left here, it wasn't just all about the ham and the eggs and the potato salad. You actually had an opportunity to continue on in your worship. I think that's one of the most awesome thoughts is that worship's not confined to a point and place and time. It, it can be done every single day of a believer's life. And I want to ask you the question as we move forward this morning. I want you to think about this. Are you satisfied with your personal worship of the Lord? Are you satisfied? Are you where you want to be? Does it look like... You know, it has over the last 20 years, or do you see any advancement going on in your worship? Because the church today, I think, is so limited in knowledge as it relates to worship, I think it mostly applies to people on Sundays, singing two or three hymns, listening to a pastor preach a message, and going home. There's much more to worship than just that, although that is worship. Right? We sing, we worship. We read the word, we worship. We listen to a message from the Lord, we worship. And you worship through agreement with God's word. Agreement about God when people are singing. You're agreeing with the things that they are singing about the Lord. Um, but worship's more than that. In fact, one of the things about David's life that really intrigues me that I think we could probably learn from is that David really talked a lot about meditation, meditating on the Word of God. That, that word meditation kind of has this, you know, well, we can't go there, right? When you think of meditation, you might think New Age or whatever, but, but it's so biblical. It is very biblical. I mean, David did it. He meditated upon the things of the Lord, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's worship. 
Um, worship is not restricted to an event. It's not restricted to a place or a ritual. Worship is something that you and I have the wonderful opportunity as believers of doing every single day. And um, it just excites me to think about it. And I thought, well, Lord, if it excites me to think about it, it's something I really believe you want me to talk about because I really believe that the question I ask needs to be thought through. Are you satisfied in your life with where you are as it relates to worship? Um, and if you answer no, then what needs help? And if you answer yes, then I guess you're doing fine. But if you answer no, then what does need attention in your life? Um, I like what A.W. Tozer said about the church in relationship to wonder. And by the way, he died in 1963. <laughs> okay, so when you read this, you're like, well, yeah, he's still living. No, he's with the Lord. Um, he wrote this, I wonder if there was ever a time when true spiritual worship was at a lower ebb. You know, this is before he died, obviously, in 1963. To great sections of the church, the art of worship has been entirely lost. And in its place has come that strange and foreign thing called the program. Right? You guys are familiar with the program, aren't you? In fact, at our, at our old church at Springville Road, we had the program. And we went by the program. And it drove me crazy. Because the reality is, you know what I wanted to do? I almost did it this morning, but I knew they were going to sing the song He Lives. I wanted to come up after the, the one day song. And just say, sit down, let's talk about that day. I mean, what a wonderful time to interject God's word, right? Um, so he writes, and in its place has come that strange and foreign thing called the program. And by the way, you know that program's inspired, right? You have to go by the program. But that's not true. And do you know, guys... It really works out. It's amazing how God works. So we're, we're done singing, and, and some of you were like, and then it just like nobody else went, so everybody just stopped. Guys, there's nothing wrong with clapping for the Lord. You know, the issue of worship is doing it decently and in order, not out of control. But I certainly, listen, if I can applaud for a bunch of guys running down a football field, I can certainly applaud for the Lord. And he's worthy of that. Um, he writes, This word has been barred from the stage and applied with sad wisdom to the public service which now passes for worship among us. And when you think about the fact he wrote that years and years and years ago, they're like, whoa, this dude was in touch with what was going on. He was in touch with what, was, what the church was moving toward, which was this formal service Right? And everything had to be done just like that in that order or church wasn't right. But the reality is, guys, we come to worship. Right? And if, and if I stand up here and say to you, turn your Bibles and Joe and them are still singing and are just coming to the end of the song and, and Ron's, you know, he's, he's done with his, his, his worship and song and, there, and I come up here and interrupt that order, is that Okay? Right, some of you are like, I don't know if that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I've done it before, actually. So, what does your worship look like personally? Right, that's really the issue that we want to think about this morning. What does it look like personally? And in order to, to kind of look at that and, and understand it, we have to know what the definition is. The word worship means to ascribe worth or value to something or someone. Right? We can relate to that pretty simply. We attach value to family. Right? Family is really high up on our, in our um, value. They're worth a lot to us, even though at times family drives us crazy. Right? This is what I've found with family. People go, man, this guy drives me crazy, or this girl drives me crazy. But when there's a crisis in a family, it's amazing to see them pull together. Right? So when we think about value, worth, we may think about family, we may think about a job, right? Um, we may think about someone, and hopefully when it comes to worship, we're thinking about the Lord. In the New Testament, the most common term for worship 
is proskuneo. That's how you say that word. Say that with me. Proskuneo. Isn't that cool? And the word means to fall down before. All right? And there's two thoughts with that. Not only falling down before the Lord to ascribe worth or value to him, but it also has the idea of falling before him in submission. Mm, that's a deeper issue. Right? Does that make sense? So you have that piece of ascribing worth to him, and we've done that through song this morning. We've done that through reading the word this morning. But there's a personal element to that, which says, I fall down before him in submission. That's worship. That's Romans chapter 12. Right? Uh, Just in case you've forgotten that verse, turn over there with me. Romans chapter 12. I wasn't going to go there, but I will because I brought it up. Romans chapter 12. Here's the picture of that. So proskuneo is not just ascribing worth or value to the Lord, which we do through song and worship. We do through the word, the reading of the word, the teaching of the word. We do that through meditation, meditating on the word. But it's also falling before him in submission. Chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. So there's this submission piece in worship. It's not just this, which I think the culture has down, right? We go to church to worship. It is that we in our lives each day have the opportunity to worship through submission to the Lord. Now that's a little bit different, isn't it? Because one can get on board and come and sing songs, and one can get on board and come to listen to the Word, but getting on board as it relates to submission, wow, that's a different step. Because that means I'm waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, I submit to you. Whatever it is today that comes before me, I submit to you. Um, all right, that's the introduction. I want to give you four thoughts on worship. We're going to get to Acts 16. Four thoughts on worship. The fourth point is about Acts 16. We'll get there. First of all, worship is not about you and me. Um, there's a quote I found. It's really good. I don't know who to give credit to. It was just there. It is not about a performance from a pastor or musicians. That's not worship. Right? Worship's not the, the band performing or the choir performing or this mindset of Thad performing or a pastor or teacher performing. It's not performance. But we live in a culture of performance, don't we? Oh my goodness, think about it. Kids today, I mean, everybody has to get a trophy. Right? Everybody does. Everybody does. That's the culture that we live in. We live in a performance mentality. It's in the Olympics, right? It's in the games. It's at school. And there's nothing wrong with performance, but worship is not about performance. Right? um, You're just as acceptable to the Lord today as you were yesterday if you're in Christ. Because you're covered with the righteousness of Christ. And it's not about you. Isn't that good? It looks like to me, and I wrote this down in my notes, that the church today has this emphasis on performance. There are grades, right? A, B, C, D. Maybe even F. Right? There's a story told about a man who was in a church, and the church service ended, and he walked up to the pastor and he said, Pastor, I really didn't enjoy the songs today. The pastor looked at him and said, "Mm, that's okay, we didn't sing them for you. (laughs) Right? Songs are a preference anyway. Right? Preference, preference. It's not about performance. There's a performance mentality in our culture today as it relates to worship, I think, even in the church. And so worship, number one, is not about you and it's not about me. Secondly, 
Worship is about the Lord. It's about the Lord. And do you know, David understood that. Uh, in Psalm 29, and there's many verses that I could have gone to, but in Psalm 29, David says, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the, Lo to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the majesty of holiness. Now I count one, two, three, four times that the Lord's mentioned. So worship is about who? It's about the Lord. I like the way you said that. Worship is about who? The Lord. And so whether it's here on a Sunday morning, guys, or whether it's in your car, right, or in your home, worship is about the Lord. One theologian in describing worship wrote this, Though we are blessed in doing it, our worship is not for ourselves, but for the Lord. We are praising God for His power, His glory, His majesty, His wisdom, His goodness, His grace, and we can keep going, His mercy, right? His salvation, His coming again. I mean, it's just endless. I mean, weren't you worshiping today when we were singing that one day, right? He's coming again. My mind immediately went to 1 Thessalonians 4. I mean, it's just like, I was just like, it's, and that's what songs should do. You want to know how to measure a song? Is it pointing you to the book? That's how you measure it. And if it's pointing you to the book, because I'm thinking one day, and I'm thinking, man, I need to get up there and read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and I need to preach it right now. Because he is coming again. And he's coming for his church. So worship is about the Lord. It's about Him. Thirdly, a worship is an active verb. <laughs> it's an active verb, right? Now, I want to be careful here because I think sometimes there's a tendency to judge people in corporate worship. Can I talk about that for just a minute? In other words, if, and we'll just pick on Thad, if Thad's sitting on the front row and a song's being sung and Thad is not moving his lips, is that okay? Well, don't look confused. Is that okay? It's okay. Right? I've had people ask me before <laughs> in the past, Hey, Thad, how come you don't sing? Well, I do some. But, you know, I didn't sing all the words to one day, but I was in my heart. I'm like, yeah. So Sometimes we have to be careful not to judge and look at the person next to it and say, well, they're not singing, so they may not be holy. Baloney. You know what they may be doing? Meditating on the words being sung. Maybe scripture's coming to their mind. I have no idea. We have to be careful when it comes to that. Right? We have to be careful when, when pastors are preaching and you're looking over there and somebody's playing with their phone. You're like, well, they might actually, these youth might actually be in Acts 16 waiting on me to get there. Right? All right, so worship is an active verb. I want you to take your Bibles. I know I told you to turn to Acts, but you'll forgive me. Turn back to Exodus chapter 15. This has to be one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Exodus 15 as it relates to worship. Because in the context of the passage, Israel has just crossed the Red Sea. You say, well, how big a deal was that? Pretty big deal. Who was coming after them? Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And the Lord did an amazing thing. He parted the sea, and they walked on dry land through the sea. Man, I don't know about you, but on the other side of that, what else are you going to be doing? Are right, you going to be worshiping? Right? And that's exactly what's going on. I won't read the whole thing. Don't have time this morning. But if you come to the first part of that chapter, it says, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to who? The Lord. We need to get that phrase down. To the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. And said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. 
The horse and its rider is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. <laughs> Which was true, right? I mean, look, they're right there. They're about to get them, right? And the Lord parts the sea. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him or lift him up. And so you have here this action on the part of the Israelites. They're singing. This is a song. Well, you know what? I don't know what you sound like, every one of you, when you sing. But did you know that you can sing apart from here? Don't you sound good when you're at home and no one's around, right? You sound really good. I have a story on my daughter-in-law. She's here this morning. I have to tell this story. It's great. So when Caleb and Marissa were dating, I don't believe they were married yet. It was around Thanksgiving time. And so um, Marissa sings really well. And so I'm down at stairs at the computer and, and I'm hearing this beautiful noise. And I'm like, that's not Caleb. <laughs> that's not Micah. That's not Andrew. And that's not Teresa. <laughs> it was her. And it was beautiful. But you know what? Even though I sound crummy, I still like to sing to the Lord. How about you? Now, when I get in that shower, I'm the best singer there is. Right? It, it's about singing to the Lord, and that's what you find these guys doing. They're singing to the Lord. And later on in the chapter, you see their active worship, right? Verse 19, look at this. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand. And all the women at, went out after her with timbrels. And they were doing what? They were dancing. Oh! Ah! <laughs> but they weren't dancing. Guys, this is very important. They weren't dancing for themselves. They're dancing in worship of who? The Lord. The Lord. In fact, it says, And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider, he is hurled into the sea. So you have this beautiful picture of active worship going on in Exodus 15. Well, the fourth point about worship, and the last one that I want to look at this morning, um, is worship is not limited to good times. <laughs> Man, I don't know about you, but when things are going well, it's easy to worship. But when things are kind of rough, it's more difficult. Well, in Acts 16, in the context, it was a little more difficult for Paul and Silas. Look at verse 25 of Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, in the context of the passage, this is the second missionary journey. And the Bible says, but about midnight... And as you look at that, you think, well, what's going on before midnight? Well, if you look back in the text, in verse 22, the Bible says, And a crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them. Whose robes? Paul and Silas. Off of them, and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. How does that sound? That doesn't sound very good. You know, I grew up in the age where some kids had parents that said, um, go get that switch. Right? You remember those days? We didn't have switches. My dad just had paddles and belts and all that kind of good stuff. But, but there are some, right, that come from that background. You know what I'm talking about. And, and, and you had to go find that switch. You remember what your mom or dad told you? Don't come back with what? A little bitty switch. You come back with a good one. Right? Well, these guys were being beat with rods. The Bible says. They were beaten, beat with rods, verse 22. And look, look at verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. 
And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, believed to be more like a dungeon, all right? Into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. In other words, those guys weren't going anywhere. So they've been beaten with rods, they've been chained, they've been put down in a dark dungeon, and they're going, well, what's there to do? The Bible says, verse 25, they do something amazing. In fact, when you look at it, you go, what? But about midnight, Paul and Silas were worshiping. That's what they were doing because the text tells us they were doing two things. They were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They were praying and they were singing. They weren't complaining and grumbling. Do you see that? Now, I don't know about you, but when we get in tough situations, sometimes maybe we complain and grumble. But maybe we ought to try this scenario. Maybe we ought to pray and sing to the Lord, understanding that the Lord's in control of all things. Because there is nothing that happens in your life and my life that the Lord doesn't know about. Whatever the trial, whatever the hardship, he already knows it. And so when I look at this, I say, wow, these guys are worshiping in difficult times. They're praying and they're singing. But you know what? There's something else going on. They're worshiping, but there's something else going on. You say, "Ah, what in the world is going on? Let me show you. Look at it. They were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And what's that last phrase say? The prisoners were tuning them out. It's not what it says. The Bible says the prisoners were what? They were listening to them. You know, that's an aspect of worship I'm not sure that we think about a lot. But when we're praying and we're singing, people are watching you know, we were in that ICU room Friday all day long there with David, and I was in his room two or three times. And here's a guy laying there. Something's going on in his body that's not good, and the doctors are trying to figure it out. And I can tell you this, that for the two or three days straight that I was there, do you know what we were doing in that room? Praying. That's what was going on. We were acknowledging the Lord. That's what was going on. In fact, almost every single time that a doctor or nurse walked in, he would say, he being David, hey, we're praying. You know, the temptation when you're down and out is what? To be down and out. I'm looking at this. What a great example. I mean, you walk in the room, and there are two pastors in the room, myself and George. And what are we doing? We're praying with this believer. The next day, there's doctors and nurses coming in, praying's going on. And the next day, and the next. You know, sometimes it doesn't make sense to the people watching, does it? Have you ever been in one of those rooms, like an ICU waiting room, and you have people holding hands? I've had this happen several times. And we're holding hands as a family, whoever the family is, and we're praying, and you get done, and it's a hard situation, and these people are going, they have that look on their face. But you know what, guys? In this prison, they were listening, the Bible says. You say, well, what kind of effect did it have? I want you to see this. And suddenly, the Bible says, there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors opened, he drew his sword about to kill himself. Why? Because he was responsible for all those guys. And supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul did what? He cried out. He cried out, the Bible says, with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What does Paul tell them? Hey, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and do that. No, what does Paul say? Believe. That's what he says. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and you shall be saved and your household. And a lot of people stop there, but if you keep reading, man, you look at the impact of this one event. Not only was the Philippian jailer, right, asking the question about salvation, but notice what happens. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set, and set food before them. And they did what? The Bible says they rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. I mean, you look at that situation and you go, well, Paul and Silas, man, they should have been moaning and groaning and complaining. Everybody else would have been, but that's not what they did. And you know what God did? God used their worship to spread the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people were saved as a result of that. You know, guys, every single one of us has the privilege of living life. Did you know life itself is a gift? It is. It's a gift from God. We don't know what's around the corner. I have no idea what's around the corner for your life or my life, right? But we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to live before people the testimony that we worship the Lord and Him alone. There was a man in New York State who, uh, Tim, he was one of my really good friends and his family, and um, he was 43 years old, 43 or 44, I don't exactly remember which age, 43 or 44. And um, he went to the doctor, he was having a little bit of pain, he goes to the doctor, he finds out he has cancer, and he has no more than one year to live. Now this is a man with a wife and five kids, ranging from the youngest one in proximity, probably seven years old, all the way up to 20. And I remember going to visit Tim in his house, and I remember sitting in front of him, and you know, you don't always know what to say to someone that's going through something like that. And I remember sitting there, and he said, hey Thad, can I ask you to do something for me? And, of course, a lot of times we'll say when someone asks us that, sure, or what, what do you need me to do? And, but I was thinking through the question and considering his situation, I said, sure, what, what, what would you need, Tim? He said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to come here every week, and I want us to study the Word together. And he said, can we have the kids around that are here that aren't in school? Can we study the Word together? He said, because I want my kids to see me die well. I want them to see me worshiping the Lord until I take my last breath. You know what? That's one thing that he did. Every single week, myself or Pastor Stam would go to Tim's house and we would sit in his living room and whoever was there in the family and we would study the word and we would sing songs and we would worship the Lord. You know, you would think at 43 the guy would have mailed it in and said, oh well, God doesn't love me, this isn't fair. But he did the very opposite. And do you know at Tim's funeral, they had tons of people at that funeral, and one of the greatest testimonies came from his children who saw their father in a difficult time make a decision to worship the Lord until the Lord took him to be home with him. Guys, I don't know what your worship life looks like. I have no idea. But I want you to know that we have the opportunity to worship and ascribe praise and glory to the Lord every single day. So please do something for me. Don't wait till Sunday. Let's do it every day. Let's praise his name every day. Let's pray together. Lord, We have the privilege every day to worship you. There's not a day that goes by where we don't have the freedom to be able to ascribe praise and honor and glory to you. Lord, I think about so many people that I've had the opportunity to sit with over the years who have been in difficult situations, and it's been such an encouragement to me personally as a believer, 
to witness these folks, so, so many of them worshiping you in the midst of difficulty. Lord, I just want to thank you for the example of Paul and Silas. To the world, if they read this, it wouldn't make any sense to them. But Lord, because we know you, it makes sense to us. It's not easy, it's difficult. But Lord, you use that difficult time to further your gospel. And Lord, in that difficult time, you find Paul and Silas worshiping you. And so I just want to thank you for that example. And I pray that we would, this morning, before we leave this place, answer that question. Are we satisfied with where we are in relationship to worship and how that looks in our lives on a daily basis? Because we can be singing and not worship. We can be reading and not worship. That can happen. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be filled by your Spirit, that we might, Lord, give praise and honor and glory to your name, just like Psalm 148 says, your creation is meant to give praise and honor and glory to you. So I pray that we would do that with your help. Lord, I pray, I, I just strongly pray that this morning no one would leave here without really taking a good look at that. Myself foremost, how does that look in my life? And all these things I pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen, let's all stand as we sing together.
you before you leave. I'm just a uh, quick response from you. Just one word. What is it about your relationship with the Lord that's been encouraging to you? What is it? Word or phrase? Grace. Sorry? Grace. Grace. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Mercy. Grace. Peace. Every, his every presence. That's right. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Isn't that good? That's good for the body to respond, right? And worship. So you think about that. What's the Lord doing in your life right now that you might need to thank him for? Anybody before we leave? I'm going to pray in just a minute. What you want to thank him for today? His faithfulness. He's always the same. Life. Yeah, do you know the pay? That's a very good point. That um, rain falls on the just and the unjust. Even though they don't acknowledge it, right? All right. Anyone else before we dismiss today? Do what? His healing, right? Listen, he, he does things. He's the great physician. It's good to be reminded of that, right? Not only physically, but spiritually, emotionally. He heals. And we serve a God like no other. All right? It's good to respond. It's good for God's body to respond to the goodness of the Lord. You know, that's worship because it's all about Him. Let me um, just remind you guys of something. If you've been visiting with us at Grace, we're going to have, I think some of you have received a letter, but those of you who've been just recently visiting, um, we're having a visitor's luncheon on the 22nd of this month, immediately following uh, the service. And so if you're interested in that, you'd like more information about Grace, we'd love to sit down with you and introduce uh, Grace to you more and uh, how, how uh, things go here at Grace and what we're all about. We'd love to do that. And so if you're interested in that, you can call the church office um, or you can come see me or George after the service. We'd love to um, introduce you to that time, all right? Let's uh, pray together. Okay. Lord, we just want to thank you for your church. I thank you for your church responding to you today, listening to, Lord, um, the fact that you are the author of life um, and the author of abundant life, eternal life. And we thank you for eternal life. We do thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, you, you are like no other God. You are the living God, the eternal God. And Lord, we look forward to that day of uninterrupted worship where we're in your presence, as your word tells us, face to face, in all your glory for eternity. And so we look forward to that time. And until then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful and being witnesses for you that can pray and sing and worship even in the most difficult days. And so we just uh, commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.